Sunshine's Weekend, all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is Sunny Side of Sports. Right here on The Voice of America. Voice of America. Sporty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. This is VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to the October 13th edition of the sunny side of sports. Let's tip off with African basketball. Since 2003, the Giants of Africa Foundation has been on a mission to, in its words, use basketball to enrich the lives of African youth across the continent through education on and off the court. As part of its mission, the foundation says it's committed to building 100 basketball courts throughout Africa. The Giants of Africa Foundation says a basketball court can uplift a community, unite youth, and provide job opportunities. The foundation recently inaugurated a new court at Abasan, a suburb of Lagos, Nigeria. Iron Mike Mbonye was at the inauguration ceremony and he spoke with the co-founder of the Giants of Africa Foundation, Godwin Awinje. Well, in Nigeria, this is our eighth, eighth court in Lagos. Overall, in the continent, we are, this is our 20th. Yeah, we've been able to build courts uh, you know, in Nigeria, Burkina Faso, Kenya, Tanzania. We've been to Senegal. We've been to have we been? Um, we've been to Congo, so you know we've been able, okay. We've been able to build courts in uh, I want to say maybe about more than seven country, uh, countries in the continent. You know, with a, t- a total of twenty. Wow, this is great. Can you tell us the effects, the outcome, the products of the beneficiaries of this course? What has it been like? What has it only been like so far for them? Well, the, the, it's, it's all about the youth of Africa uh, and all, most especially the youth of Nigeria because that's where we're from. And uh, without basketball courts, the development you know, of the game of basketball won't be effective. You know, That's why the initiative of building 100 courts in the next several years, uh, that's why we put it in the forefront and so far there's been a good journey so far and uh, like i said we've done 20 we still got a lot a lot in a long ways to go but we're going to keep pushing ahead push ahead until we hit 100 what about nigerian youths those who have been using the courts do you have any success story to tell from what you've seen well we started our organization in 2003 you know we've been running We've been we've been running basketball camps uh, to develop the game. We've been doing a lot of uh, outreach programs, you know, to enrich the lives of our youths in uh, in the continent by way of leadership skills, by education. Sports is is, is education as well. And uh, we 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 always preach. I always tell this every time I speak to the press about parents supporting their kids whenever they want they're interested in uh, playing whatever sports it is. They should support them. 100 percent because sports is a very important vehicle for the growth of you know of a child so the plan the initiative or the idea of the giants of africa is to build 100 basketball courts in africa am i right yes that's right now you have 20 so far yes we have 20 so far now when do you intend to do one or two again for 
Well, it's, it's in the planning stages right now. I can't tell you a particular date, but definitely in the next year, we, we, we're going to come back to the continent. We're going to come back to Nigeria to, to build more courts. I can't give you a tentative date right now, but we're definitely going to continue to push forward until we hit our 100, 100 court mark. That's Godwin Awinje, the co-founder of the Giants of Africa Foundation. And he spoke with Iron Mike Mbonye in Lagos, Nigeria. Sporty greetings. This is Godwin Awinji, co-founder of Giants of Africa, international scout with the Brooklyn Nets. You're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. From Nigeria, let's go to Uganda, where the Nam Blazers will play the defending champion City Oilers Friday in the decisive Game 7 of the Men's National Basketball League Finals. The Blazers are bidding for their first trophy while the Oilers are aiming to win a record extending eighth title in a row. In an interview with Jonah Byakutaga in Kampala, the manager of Uganda's national men's basketball team, Albert Ahabwe, said the Blazers have the deeper team heading into game seven. Depth and physicality. They have the deeper squad. City Oilers, because of those injuries and those challenges, will generally not play a long rotation. They'll probably play seven or eight players because the other guys at the end of that bench don't have the experience to be thrown into the deep end of a game seven. However, numblazers are 10, 12 deep. They have everyone healthy. Only Chris has suffered with a few niggles here and there, but at this point of the of the uh, league, everyone has some sort of a knock on their body. So it's just body management. So for me, I feel like that depth is going to count for the numblazers. Secondly, they have been the more willingly physical team uh, in the in the uh, latter stages of, of of the series, and I feel like that physicality that they have. Uh, uh, asserted themselves with, which is also a result of knowing that I can play tough because I have three extra bodies on the bench. City Oil have three big men, um, Francis Azolibe, James Okello, and uh, Moses Maker. If one or two get into foul trouble, that's game. Oilers on uh, numblazers on the other side have about four or five big bodies so they can afford to play physical and not worry too much about foul trouble. So they have a thin rotation at the Oilers, and that's the biggest problem. That, for me, I think, is where they might win or lose the game. All right, thin rotation indeed. And now, but before I let you go, I want us to quickly talk about the national team, the Silverbacks, where you are the national team manager. We've seen South Sudan jump in leaps and bounds and now becoming a top basketballing nation. How does Uganda replicate what South Sudan is doing if we are to be successful on the continent, let alone qualifying for the World Cup? We always said this in the region, and you'd hear it quietly from administrators in the region. We all always knew that there was a sleeping giant right in the middle of, in the midst of us. We knew that the day South Sudan would figure their stuff out, it was always going to be a difficult one to get around because, man, those guys have talent. They are the tallest nation in the world. The tallest nation in the world. They literally throw them off the conveyor belt in terms of, 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 of players and talent out there. Right now in the U.S., apart from Americans proper, you will struggle to find another country outside of Nigeria that has as many basketball players in the U.S. 
as South Sudan. If you go down to Australia, this season, there are teams that have up to three, four South Sudanese players in their team, in the NBL in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in, in, in Australia, the top division in Australia. So these guys have countless, countless bodies out there. And you can tell from what teams they put out there. None of their teams in the last three years has had a local best player. All their players are best abroad. But being the tallest country in the world, one of the most athletic countries in the world in terms of the bodies they put out there on court, they have so much talent. And they've been helped by having one of their own, retired NBA All-Star, Luol Deng, come back home, use his own resources, use his contact at Nike and FIBA, and revamp the national team project. That project has got a lot of support in the last few years, and now the government is starting to jump on. So it's purely a game of numbers for them in terms of the talent they have, in terms of the bodies they have outside there. And when their stuff starts clicking at home and the academy at home starts working the Rualdeng Foundation, man, they will be one of the best in the world. So there's no getting around them. But talk about ourselves. We have a lot of talent. We have a lot of talent. Uganda is a country where 85% the population is under the age of 40. So we are not short of youth. We are not short of talent. We also have a lot of bodies out there because you know our history dictates that because of the previous wars that we have had, a lot of our people migrated to foreign countries, some in America, some in Europe, some down under, Canada. And because of that, we have a lot of Ugandan kids that have grown up and played outside. And because of that, we get numbers too. We, I mean, you talk about Arthur Kaluma, you talk about Stanley Ochiti, you talk about uh, Ishmael Wainwright having uh, joined the team as a naturalized player. You talk about Eric Ruawire in Canada, Robinson Opong in Canada, Kiran Ziwa in Canada. I could go on. But also at home, we've had a vibrant basketball program for the last 10 to 15 years. And that program now, the schools have started producing kids that go abroad, you know about Claire Lamunu, you know about Jen Asinde who is uh, uh, playing Division One basketball right now um, uh, at Wikita State, you know uh, about uh, Abby Priscilla who left UCU actually one of the reasons why UCU has only two big men in the playoffs uh, the ladies is because their star big man, uh, Abby Priscilla was taken uh, to the US to play for Grayson College. Grayson College is the one that uh, uh, Jen Asinde first went to from here, where she was with JKL. Budo SS to JKL, went to Grayson College, left Grayson College, went to, to, to Wikita State. Now, because of how well she had carried herself at Grayson State, they called back in Uganda and said, do you have another? Can you send us another? That's how the conveyor belt works. We sent Abby Priscilla. We have kids from Watoto who are over in the States and playing there. We have kids in Europe. Jonathan Komagum is going to play for the London Lions in the Europe in the Euro Cup um, this, this season. We have Adam Seiko. We have Atakaluma. So we have bodies out there. That amount of talent and us being able to get it out is what has got us to this level of competition. Now everyone knows about us. We are ranked number 12 in Africa. When we came in in 2013 to manage the national team, myself, Grace Quizera, Mohamed Santur, Gedi, our general manager, Ambrose Tashobia, who uh, first formed the team by appointing uh, the general manager, Santur, who then picked us. When we first came in, Uganda was unranked, unknown. 
we are now ranked 12th in Africa, 75th in the whole world, and we finished 6th at the last AfroBasket. We knocked out Nigeria, the number one seeded team in Africa, to qualify for the quarterfinals where we lost to Kebvad that has an NBA center in Edita Tavares. So we've played our way up there. We've earned our stripes. We've worked hard. What we just need to get now, the only thing that's remaining to catapult us to another level is the lack of a facility where to play. You see what Kigali Arena has done for Rwanda. Rwanda has become very competitive. The game has become a culture. People go to watch basketball games as a social event in Kigali. Once we get that here, because here we have a crowd, man. You've been seeing on TV, you've been seeing the the, the, the number of, of people that are in that stadium during this uh, final series. We have the numbers. If only we could get the facility, then the numbers will increase, then the culture will improve, then kids will have more stars to look up to, then sponsors will come to us because they can brand in a fashionable gym where the world can come and play in Kampala. That's Albert Ahabwe, the manager of Uganda's national men's basketball team. And he spoke with Jonah Byakutaga in Kampala, Uganda. Sporty greetings. This is Masai Ujiri, the president of Toronto Raptors Basketball, president of Giants of Africa Foundation. You are listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. This is The Voice of America. Washington, D.C. Hello, this is Heather Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Like to stay on top of new music trends, breakout artists, new releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station, Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. Thanks, Heather. That's Heather Maxwell, the host of our Music Time in Africa show. I'm Sonny Young in Washington, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. Ugandan fans recently celebrated the retiring Tony Mweje at a tribute match to honor his contributions to the national team, nicknamed the Cranes. The 35-year-old Mweje made 83 international appearances for the Cranes. In this encore sunny side of sports presentation, let's listen in again to a feature report from Magume Davis Rakawinj in Kampala, Uganda. fans sang and danced songs in praise of Tony Maweji as he participated in the testimony match in Kampala. 
One of them is Ediga Watson. He has that final ball that he would release from the midfield and he would manage it and man it, killing these passes, passing going forward. So that is a difference that he has actually had. In our generation, we have not seen another midfield general like Tony Mawoji currently. The match pitted former Uganda Crane Stars against Uganda Cobbs, Uganda's under-23 national football team. Star goalkeeper, Murdy Sundowns, Dennis Onyango, traveled thousands of kilometers to participate in Mawaji's testimonial. He says he has lots of respect for him. Fortunately, it's one of my former captains, one of the people that I met when, when I was joining the national team. So I had to make my way, and uh, whenever it's a football course, I, I make my way when the circumstances are allowing. So, yeah, why not? Uh, for Tony, hopefully more players will come and play testimonial games in the next in near future. He was your captain and eventually became the captain. What are some of the things that you learned from him? Being patient, working hard because... Uh, he was a very hard-working guy. We all know he's a very working guy. And being a human being, that's very important. You can't only play football. You must also be a nice person. That's when you become a good leader, and he has been doing that wherever he's played. Maweja started his career at then local club Masaka LC before joining Kampala City Authority Football Club in Uganda's top tier. He eventually played for several European clubs in Iceland, Norway, Albania, among others and says he has always been inspired by his humble background. I always wanted to achieve something, to do something for my people back home. So this has been always a drive in my life. And then the, the, you, you must have said that's something you really need, that, that, that's something you really need out of football. If you don't have what you need, that, that, your what, why? Like why are you playing football? If you don't have why you are playing football, then you cannot achieve, achieve uh, anything in football. Dian Pisbagala, a sports commentator in Uganda, agrees. Aweje is an exceptional player because uh, rarely do you find a talented player who is again disciplined. So that is what describes Tony Maweje. He's a very dedicated player. For the time I saw him on the national team, he's some player you could see pouring out his heart for the national team, a player who lifts the team, a player who thinks the national team comes first before anything else. But even during retirement, Maweje will continue participating in the game he loves. He's starting an academy with an emphasis on the position of Zowell, the midfield. Uganda, we are so blessed with a lot of talent, and we have to just come up together uh, to, to have a collective effort. The players, the ex-players, and everyone that really, really loves the game. Having played in both junior and senior national teams, Maweje says he retires a contented man, particularly as a member of the team that helped Uganda to qualify for the continental showpiece, the African Cup of Nations, after nearly four decades of absence. The memorable match. Yeah. I, I think the, the first match I played for my country, uh, my debut, uh, when I wore the, 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 the jersey for, for, for the national team and the national anthem was sung for me. That is something that will never go out of my memory. How was it? How did you feel? I felt so great. I felt so good. This is something I was always praying uh, as a kid to play for my national team. So when it happened, I uh, only had to just be happy and thank God that it has happened. For the sunny side of sports, I am Ogume, Davis Rwakarinji in Kampala, Uganda.
VOA Sunny Young in Washington, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports on the Voice of America. Follow the sunny side of sports on Facebook and Twitter. My Facebook address is facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny. And my Twitter handle is at VOA Sunny Sports. You can check out your favorite VOA programs, including the sunny side of sports, at VOAAfrica.com. And for world news, go to VOANews.com. Here in the United States, one of the big sports stories right now is the Major League Baseball playoffs. In action Wednesday evening, the Atlanta Braves and the San Diego Padres both posted victories. The Braves beat the Philadelphia Phillies 3-0. And the Padres defeated their Southern California rival, the Los Angeles Dodgers, by a score of 5-3. Both of those National League Division Series are now tied at one game each. Joining us now with more details is the AP's Tom Merriam. Two game twos in the National League Division Series while the American League took Wednesday off. In Atlanta, the defending champion Braves even their series with the Phillies with a 3-0 win. Here's AP's Gary McKillops on how the Braves had the right stuff. The Braves' Kyle Wright and the Phil's Zach Wheeler each went six innings, but Wheeler yielded three runs in the sixth. Meanwhile, the Braves' 21-game winner, Wright, allowed just two hits and struck out six. I feel like I had the confidence to, to, to pitch at this stage. Um, you know, they're a really good lineup, and I, and I knew that, but I knew that if I executed, then I was going to give myself a chance. Out west, the Padres are square with the Dodgers at a game apiece as Bob Melvin's team won a back-and-forth game 5-3 in Los Angeles. It's probably as, as back-and-forth a game as you're going to see. A lot of drama to it. Fun win. Jake Cronenworth and Manny Machado led the San Diego attack against the subpar Clayton Kershaw. I definitely made some mistakes that they made me pay for, but um, you know, overall I'd like to have a few pitches back. I'm Tom Marion. Thanks, Tom. French international Kareem Benzema of Real Madrid is being described as the red-hot favorite to win the Ballon d'Or trophy given to the world's best footballer on October 17th. Benzema had a prolific season for Real Madrid, scoring 44 goals in 46 matches and helping the team win the UEFA Champions League and Spain's La Liga. Seven-time Ballon d'Or winner Lionel Lionel Messi, who won the trophy last year, was not nominated this time around, and neither was his Paris Saint-Germain teammate, Neymar. Sporty greeting, this is Victor Simeon, Supergoes of Nigeria and Napoli FC forward. You're listening to the sunny side of thoughts on The Voice of America. Victor
Victor Oseman scored Napoli's fourth goal Wednesday when the team beat visiting Ajax 4-2 to advance to the round of 16 in the UEFA Champions League. Elsewhere, Liverpool thrashed the host Rangers in Scotland 7-1 with Egyptian star Mohamed Salah netting a sensational hat trick in a six-minute span of the second half. German powerhouse Bayern Munich advanced from Group C with a 4-2 victory over Victoria Pizan. Senegalese star Sadio Mane with the opening goal for Bayern. Also in Group C, Barcelona kept alive its hopes of advancing with a three-all draw against visiting Inter Milan. Polish star Robert Lewandowski scored on a header in stoppage time. The Street Child World Cup aimed at empowering girls and women to participate in sports kicked off this week in Qatar as we hear now from VOA's Gwen Uden. Sporty greetings, Gwen. Sporty greetings, Sonny. With just over a month to go before the start of the 2020 FIFA World Cup in Qatar, football action got underway this week when the Street Child World Cup kicked off in the capital, Doha. Teams of 15 boys and 13 girls from 25 countries have come together for the 10-day event. According to organizers, the teams represent some of the world's most vulnerable children. And for the girls, their participation in the tournament has been particularly inspiring. Maysoon Nakla represents the Palestinian girls team who come from a refugee camp in the West Bank city of Tarkarm. Nakla says the Street Child World Cup has encouraged her team to engage more deeply in sports. The girls' experience coming here, it was beautiful. The reaction was just, it was out of this world. Uh, excited, uh, everything was new to them. Uh, first time they even leave uh, the Tukadim refugee camp. Some of them haven't even left the city that they're living in. So it was all new to them. It was all exciting. Them coming here... Uh, is is a great deal because it will encourage their friends to fin to play football or any kind of sport. Um, they are here to be the leaders of the future generation. So yes, this will encourage them greatly. Young footballer Tayyiba Musafarajad plays for the Qatar team and says the sport has given her the belief that she can achieve anything. I do think that uh, through sports we can get uh, through women empowerment and we can help get to women's rights and it'll make it, we'll get this, get equal to men like this um, and now that we've been offered the opportunity, we will uh, we can show them who we really are and what we can do as women, and that we can not only be better than them, uh, that not only we can play just as good as them, but sometimes even better. Personally, I love playing football. I play every day at home. It's one of my passions, and it's something that helps me space out and only focus on football and nothing else but football. My stresses from school, studies, exams, and it just helps me focus on myself and how I play and to improve myself to help me play better football.
The first Street Child World Cup was staged in Durban, South Africa in 2010 and has since taken place in Brazil in 2014 and Russia in 2018. Traditionally, the tournament is held in the host country of the FIFA World Cup. So this year, the event kicked off at Qatar's Oxygen Park in Education City, located on the outskirts of Doha. The tournament is organized by the UK charity Street Child United in partnership with the Qatar Foundation. Alexandra Chalat is the Qatar Foundation's Director of Community Engagement and World Cup Legacy. She spoke about the importance of providing opportunities for girls and boys to play football, particularly in Qatar. Street Child World Cup is so important to be here in Qatar Foundation ahead of the World Cup in December because Qatar Foundation is all about unlocking human potential and that's truly what this tournament is all about. It's about providing an opportunity for young people who would otherwise not have the chance to play against each other, to showcase their country's cultures and their country's ambitions with each other. So in addition to the football tournament, they're also participating in conversations about issues that matter to them in their own country. They're developing projects. They're thinking about what they can do in their own country when they return. And John Rowe, co-founder and CEO of Street Child United, spoke about the importance of both World Cup tournaments. Football unifies us. And when these young people play for their country at a World Cup, where the World Cup is, people back home listen. And people back home get on their side. And then people back home change things for them. They they help them to get identity. They become proud of their street children. Um, they, they become recognized. So we say it's much more than a game. It's the World Cup that matters. It's the World Cup of joy. It's the World Cup of peace. The fourth edition of Street Child World Cup is now underway until October 15th. Oxygen Park, the site of the tournament, is also home to the Education Stadium, one of the eight venues for the upcoming FIFA World Cup set to kick off in just 38 days on November 20th in Doha. And that is all from me, Sonny. Back over to you. Thanks, Gwen. And that's the 